Amen. Well, good morning. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and looking forward to continuing on through the book of 2 Corinthians. I trust you had a, a good uh, week this week and thank God for a pretty nice weekend and uh, not super cold or snowy. That's coming, I know, but, um, but it's nice to uh, just to have a, have a weekend where we can gather without being hindered uh, by the weather. I appreciate all of those uh, songs and how uh, really they go together with that theme of we need the Lord and we need God. I was talking with someone before the uh, 930 service and we were talking about that very thing, how that that many times we wait till it's like really like devastating things in life uh, before we recognize how much we need the Lord, before we'll really go to God in prayer. And the reality is we need him every, each and every day. And don't wait until like a really difficult time comes to turn to him. May we recognize that every day as we wake up, every day that we have breath, that it's God that gives that to us and God sustains us and God uh, keeps us. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, last week we we, uh, talked about chapter 4. And one of the great motivations that the Apostle Paul had was knowing even though he went through tremendous suffering and pain in his life, that God had a purpose in it and that God was working all of that out, that what was coming, the the weight of glory that was coming was far greater than the weight of the burdens he had in that present time. And he said, it's not even worthy to compare to the glory that's coming, that the, the, the glory that's coming, the reward that's coming, the Uh, knowing God as a purpose and plan in what's coming is so much greater than what he was going through. Now, remember all the things that he went through. In a few chapters, he like lists all of these things, and we'll get to that in uh, in just a few weeks. But all of the things that he went through, I mean, if we went through one or two of those things, it would be like devastating. I mean, he was beaten up, and he was shipwrecked. He was without proper clothing and food and thrown in prison for nothing wrong that he did. He was just faithful at preaching the word of God. He went through all of that, but yet his perspective, what motivated him to keep pressing on was that God had a purpose in it. Well, what we're going to see today, another motivation that he had and something that should motivate us is the hope of heaven, of knowing that this short life is not it, that the best is yet to come for all those who know the Lord. That for every person who is trusted in Christ, that has been redeemed, that has been justified, that has been clothed in the righteousness of Christ, that the very best days are yet to come. The best life isn't now, it's what's yet to come. Now, can we enjoy life now? Absolutely. Can we thank God for the material blessings? Absolutely, and we should. Can we look forward to great times here in this life and in and, and moments that God gives us here in this life with family, with friends, and absolutely. But know this, that even if God calls us to, to serve him and live in a difficult context or in difficult days, that this life isn't it. And this was another motivation that Paul had. And he talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And really, it's why death shouldn't be a terror, why we don't have to fear death. He says, for we know if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, 
and a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So he's comparing this body that we have to a tabernacle, or another word could be a tent. Now, a tent is something you don't sleep in and stay in when you're planning on being somewhere very long, right? I don't know why anyone would want to even sleep in a tent for one night. But even if you enjoy camping and you like sleeping in a tent, it's temporary, right? You're not planning on, on doing it for very long. I mean, you know, maybe a night or two, or if you really like to rough it and, and feel experience, you know, nature, maybe, maybe longer. But, but he's using the, the uh, comparison of, of this body. It's like a tent. It's a tabernacle. It, it, it's just meant for a short time. And he says that we know that when it's dissolved, that we have a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So what he's saying is this, that, that though this body is going to die one day, this body's going to dissolve. This body is filled with aches and pains and sickness. We live in a fallen and a broken world. And so because of that, these bodies are temporary. And when these bodies dissolve, he says, we know that we have something, a, a, a building or a house not made with hands. It's eternal in the heavens. And he said that this truth is something we groan and we long for. We long for, for this eternal body. We long to be in heaven with Christ. We long for that. The word groan, the Greek word stenazo, which means the deep pressure and pain that's building up. He's saying that's the feeling of knowing that we're not truly at home. Like he says, while we're home in the body, we know we're absent from, from being in the presence of God. And again, we're always in the, the presence of God because God is everywhere and we have the spirit of God in us, right? But, but in the sense of knowing it to a fuller, more fulfilled way of being in heaven, he says, we long for that. We groan. It's similar language to Romans chapter eight that talks about this sin-cursed world is groaning. It's longing for something better. It's, it's, it's longing. There's a deep desire for something more. And we feel that and we experience that, don't we? I mean, even in the most wonderful, peaceful moments here in this life, those don't last because of sin, because of the curse of a, the sin-cursed world that we're lived in. Even the very best moments, the most peaceful moments, maybe you reflect back to a time when you were as a family all together, or maybe you were with a group of friends and family, and it was just like, you just were savoring every moment, wishing that would last forever. But then what happens? Well, sin ruins all of those things. Sin breaks relationships. Because of the, the, the curse of sin on this earth, we have bodies that die. And so maybe you look back longing for a time when, when everyone was together. The whole family was here. And maybe you experience that grief on a daily basis of missing someone. Missing someone who is no longer here. And the point being is, that groaning, that longing that we have is we're longing for something 
that's better. We know that for as believers that there is the, the world as it is now is not how it will always be. The promise of Christ returning, the promise of a new heaven and a new earth where the, the, the power of sin is no longer, where there's no death, there's no pain, there's no suffering. And, and people may look at that as, well, that's a fairy tale. Well, for those who know the Lord, that's the reality of the day that is coming. And Paul's saying, look, my desire, though, is the groaning, the longing is to be with, with Christ. He says that if so be that we're clothed on, we shall not be found naked. It's talking about this physical body, right? Like he says that we in this tabernacle, we groan, we're burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon. That mortality might be swallowed up of life, showing that He's showing that, that how that life, because of Christ, because of his resurrection from the dead, showing that he had the power over death, is saying that that's showing that, that the grave and that death is swallowed up, that life has overcome death through Jesus Christ. And because of that, as believers, we have this hope that this life is an it. Maybe you feel that groan today. Maybe you feel that deep desire because of the pain of this world. Because of a broken relationship in this world. Because of the death of someone close to you in this world. Because of maybe someone who has sinned against you and it's caused just so much chaos and hurt in this life. Well, for believers, that groaning and that longing is knowing that, that things as they are now are not how they will always be. And Paul says, we know that this body, that, that this tent, when it dissolves, we have an eternal home in heaven. And so we take comfort in that as believers, amen? We, we should take great hope in knowing that heaven is real. And that this life is only temporary. Because we're groaning in this body. It says, now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing as God, who's given us the earnest of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in us is an indication that we have been redeemed. Like these promises of heaven, the promise of knowing that we have eternal life in Christ well, God just hasn't made this promise of, of something we only hope and wish for. Now, yes, we walk by faith here and now, but it's a confident faith. Why? Because the Holy Spirit of God is at work in our heart and life. The Holy Spirit of God. He convicts us of sin and he guides us into truth and he gives us peace even in the middle of chaotic situations in life. That is the, he says, the earnest of the Spirit or the the down, the Holy Spirit is the down payment. It's a promise of eternal glory that, that's yet to come. And what guarantees us that is the Spirit of God in us. Paul uses similar language in the book of Ephesians about how that all these blessings we have in Christ, all of these, all this identity that now we have in Jesus Christ. And he talks about we are sealed by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is that down payment or the proof, the guarantee of what is yet to come. And this is something that motivated Paul. This 
is something that allowed him to endure the things he endured. Well, last week we learned that he knew God had a purpose in it and that God was working in all of those things. And now we see not only that is that this life isn't it. The, the hope of heaven was something that motivated him. And that doesn't mean that we don't enjoy life or that we go through life depressed and sad. Of course not. But it does mean that we go through life even in difficult times knowing, hey, this is temporary. What's the wording he used um, in, at the end of four? He says that our light affliction, it's just for a moment. This life is short. But yet what is to come is greater. He says, therefore, we're always confident knowing that we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. So in that physical sense of being in the presence of God, he says, while we're on this earth in this body, well, we're not, we're not at home with the Lord in that sense. But he says, because of that, we walk by faith, right? We're walking by faith, not by sight. We don't see all of the fulfillment of these promises of God. We don't physically see with our eyes heaven. No, we walk by faith, not by sight, but it's not a blind faith. The Spirit of God is in you. The Spirit of God is moving and working in you. And again, one of the greatest evidences that we have of knowing that we know the Lord, of knowing that we have eternal life, is the Spirit of God working in us presently, right? And not, not that we're ever at the state of perfection, but we should see the Spirit of God changing our heart and changing our life. We should see the Spirit of God moving and working in our life and guiding us. And so Paul's saying that's the, the guarantee of it. He says in verse number eight, we're confident. So notice that terminology. He's speaking of knowing. He's speaking of confidence. He says that we're willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So this is very, very interesting. Paul's term or terminology here, and by the way, it's not only in this passage, but we see it in this passage and others, that when a believer dies, that we are immediately in the presence of Christ. So some people have taught something called soul sleep, that when you die, you just go to sleep. You're just in the ground. And you're waiting that resurrection of Christ. Well, yes, the body is, in a sense, awaiting that, that resurrection. Uh, when Christ will, because of his Christ's resurrection from death, he promised that as believers, when Christ returns, we are, this body will be resurrected. And we'll have a new glorified body without sin, pain, suffering, without any of those things. But what about a soul of a believer? When our soul dies, is our soul also asleep? Well, it sure seems to indicate, Paul's saying, no, when we're absent from this body, we're present with the Lord. But lest you think I'm just giving one proof text of something, we also see in other scripture that give indication that the believer immediately goes to be with the Lord. Paul makes this reference in the book of Ephesians. He's talking about prayer and, and worship and praise to God. And he makes this reference, he says, the saints on earth and in heaven. Where, where they're believers right now, not taking a nap, not in the ground, but that are with the Lord in heaven right now. Our loved ones who have died, our friends who have died, who, who are believers and know the Lord, that right now they are in heaven 
and they are in the presence of God in a more full, complete way than any of us have ever experienced. And I think that that should give us great comfort and great hope. So now this leads to a whole bunch of questions that we have, right? Well, what does that look like now in heaven? So we read in the scripture about the, the new heaven and the new earth coming one day when Christ returns and things like the streets of gold and the river of life and how that there's culture and there's cities and there's, there, there, there's, there's activity. Like heaven is a, a like real physical place where we'll be doing the things that God created us to do. And I think many of the things we're doing now um, without the without the curse of sin on this world, right? Like, hey, we were me- we were made to glorify God and praise Him. And sometimes we have this mentality of just singing around the throne. Well, the saints are praising Him around the throne, absolutely. But it's more than just singing. That's only one way we praise God. That's only one way we glorify God here on this earth. But if you're a Christian and you know the Lord, what you do every day at your job should be. You're glorifying God through doing that. The, the hobbies, the entertainment, the excitement, things that are not sinful things, but those things are a way that those are good gifts from God that he gives to us, and we can glorify him through those things. So don't think for a second that heaven is just this boring place where we're not going to do any of the things that we enjoy. Just the opposite. However, it leads to a lot of questions, though. Well, what about What's going on in heaven right now? What are those who are believers in Christ, who are in heaven? Because again, we see several references made in the scripture of those who die, those who, are, who know the Lord, they're in heaven now. What is it that they're doing? What do they know? What do they, are they aware of what's going on here? And I'm not going to attempt to answer all of those things here in this sermon. That's not really the, the point of, of this text, but... I think it's appropriate for us to look at some of those things. Let's have, let's try to get some idea of what that looks like about when this body dies, about what that's going to be like when we're in heaven. Well, there's a lot we don't know, right? Like, okay, well, do we have some kind of temporary body before this body is resurrected into a new glorious body? And we're content to say, we're not exactly sure. We don't know what that looks like. However, there are things in Scripture that give us some implications. And I think those things are worth pursuing. I think that we can do the Scripture a great disservice when we try to like really stretch things to make it fit what we want it to say. And I don't want to do that. I don't think that that's... I think we, we're, we're not doing the script, not treating the Word of God serious when we do that. However, there are some implications that I think that could, should at least cause us to think and consider some of these things. So there's a book, you've probably heard me reference it or recommend it, um, by Randy Alcorn on heaven. Now, in the book, in, in Randy's book, I think he does a really, really good job of differentiating with what we can know for certain the scripture says versus, hey, these are some possibilities 
these are maybe some implications. And, and, and one person before, when they heard me recommend that book, they, they, they read it or read some of the book. It's like, oh man, that's a big stretch on some of these things, Pastor Joel. I'm like, well, read it again because on those things, he's clear that, you know, hey, these are possibilities, right? These are some things that could be versus here's what we know in scripture. But I love what he points out in, there's a passage in the book of, of, of Revelation. So Revelation chapter six, and here's the scene, here's the setting. In Revelation 6, there are saints who are in heaven and they have been martyred. They have been killed on this earth for their faith and testimony in Jesus Christ. They're now in heaven. They're in heaven. Now, even if you have a, maybe a, you know, no, no matter what your eschatology or view of the end times is with Revelation, whether this is a scene that's happening during like the rapture of the church, if you hold to a, a view of eschatology of the church being raptured, even if you hold to a different view of eschatology, still though, we have a scene in Revelation chapter 6 where there are saints who are in heaven. They're in the presence of God. Let's read these verses because I think this is really, really important to see some things again that we can take some implications we're talking about what does that mean to be absent from the body to be present with the lord what about our loved ones who are in heaven now what about the people that you and i know and the older you get you know the more people the more very very people who are very close and dear to you you know in heaven the question is well what do they know what are they doing? Well, again, I explained this scene briefly in Revelation 6. These are saints who've been martyred. In Revelation 6, verse 9, it says, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God, for the testimony that they held. So these are martyrs. They were killed for their faith in Christ on this earth. And now they're in heaven. It says, They cried with a loud voice, saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, to send out judge and avenge the blood on them that dwell on the earth? Verse 11, and white robes were given unto them, every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. So what we see here, again, it's very, very interesting, and it's, it's something to consider. Now, are we building like this whole doctrine saying we know all of these things are 100% certain for all the believers who are in heaven now? No, of course not. But we're also not making an argument from silence either. These are some of the passages in Scripture that we do have. So the question is, what does that mean from these verses? Well, here's some observations. And this is something in the book uh, Heaven that Randy Alcorn pointed out where he's making a case for the saints in heaven now, what they know, what they're doing, at least to a certain extent. So here's some things that he, that he pointed out. Again, I think it's appropriate and helpful, not the main like thrust of this passage, but because we're talking about being absent from this body, being present with the Lord, what does that look like? Well, here's what it looked like 
for this scene of these saints who are in, uh, in Revelation, who are martyred for Christ? Well, first of all, these people died on earth and they relocated to heaven. Again, I think another passage that we have in the scripture that refutes something of called soul sleep, where you just die and your, your soul is, is in, your body and soul are just at rest and, and nothing's happening. You're just sleeping, so to speak. Well, yes, of course the body is, but what about the soul? Well, here these saints, they died on earth and they relocated to heaven. Second of all, these people in heaven were the same ones who were killed for Christ while on earth. This demonstrates direct continuity between our identity on earth and our identity in heaven. The martyr's personal history extends directly back to their lives on earth. They're not different people. They're the same people. They're just relocated. The people that were on earth, well, now their soul, they're in, they're in heaven. Now, even fast forward to when these bodies will be resurrected one day. Yes, it's going to be a new body, but it's going to be the same, the same us, right? They're, it's the same, but it's different. It's going to really be us, but in a, a perfected state of not a body that gets sick, not a body that aches, and not a body that has pain, not a body that, that dies, but it's still the same us. Well, it seems like those in heaven now, it's the same person, right? It's not a new person. It's the same person. But not only that, the, another, um, another important thing to note is this, that people in heaven will be remembered for their lives on earth. They were known and they were identified as ones who were killed because of the testimony for Christ they maintained. So, they're remembered for their life on this earth. Fourthly, we see they called out. This means that they were able to express themselves audibly. Now, this could suggest some type of physical form. Do we know exactly what that looks like? No, we don't. But it suggests they're able to communicate. The saints in heaven are able to speak. They're able to communicate intelligibly, audibly. It says that they raised their voices. They were rational, emotional, and even passionate. It's talking about saints who are on earth, who are now in heaven. They called out with a loud voice. They're, they're, they're speaking multiple people, but with one voice indicating a place that heaven now is a place of unity and a shared perspective. They're fully conscious. They're rational. They're aware of each other. God, they're aware of what is happening on earth to some degree. Now, is this a special case for just these martyrs? It's quite possible. But again, when we say things like, hey, it's possible that those in heaven right now, our loved ones who are with the Lord, that they have some indication of what's going on on this earth. We're not making an argument from silence. It's an implication. Again, it absolutely could just be this is an exception. But I don't think it's a stretch to at least consider that possibility. Now, do I think that those in heaven are watching every move we make? Well, not necessarily, but 
I think they know at least some degree of what's going on on earth. And why wouldn't they? On this earth, God's grand story of redemption of mankind is being accomplished. Why would they not know in heaven? Though we know that there's rejoicing in heaven when someone comes to Christ. Again, these are implications, but I think they're implications worth considering. They're worth thinking about. Why? Well, because of our mortal body, we're not guaranteed one more breath, one more day on this earth. And also, as I mentioned, we all know people and have people very dear and very close to us who are in heaven. And I think that it's worth considering these things. We go on. I won't take much longer with these, but we look at they're asking God to intervene on earth and act on their behalf because they say, how long? They're asking God, how long are you going to allow these evil people and how long are you going to allow this to go on? So they're concerned with justice on this earth. They're concerned about that. They have a deep concern for justice on this, this earth. They clearly remember their lives on earth. They remembered that they were martyred. They had their memory still of life on earth. So maybe what comes up is, well, if I remember, if, if they remember their life on earth, or if, if those in heaven know what's going on on earth, well, it wouldn't really be heaven because they'd be sorrowful and grieved over what's happening on earth. Well, keep in mind, though, they just will have a clearer, fuller perspective. They're with Christ. They're in his presence. So they can see things that look like, to us, what would look like is, is, is a tragedy and sad. But yet, they have a clearer, more fuller perspective. We see those in heaven, they see God's attributes as being sovereign and holy and true. Uh, those in heaven are distinct individuals. It says each of them was given a white robe. So there's a distinctness in heaven. And God, we see God is answering their question, indicating like this communication process in heaven is going on. Now, of course, we don't know exactly how that looks, but we know for these saints, they were able to communicate and speak and ask questions and God was answering their questions. And God even promises them. He says, wait a little longer. He's, he's fulfilling that request. The people in heaven, they have a strong uh, family connection to those on earth because they're concerned about their brothers and probably their brothers in Christ. They're concerned about justice for, for them, which would be consistent with Paul's wording in in Ephesians 3, about the whole family of God, that we share the same Father, the family of God in heaven and on earth. Again, these are implications, but I don't know if you find this interesting or if you find this you know, something that's curious. To me, I find it very curious. What is going on in heaven? What's going to happen when I die? Will I immediately go and be with the Lord? And if so, what that's going to be like? Well, there's so much we don't know. But these are implications. But we know this, that it's far better. Paul even used that, that phrase in Philippians. He, he was having this, this battle within about, 
he wanted to depart and be with Christ, he said, that's far better than this life here. But he said, but it's more needful for you because God still had something for him to do. And I think that's a really good perspective for us. Amen. Like we know the best is yet to come. We know that to be with Christ, when God calls us home to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. And, and it's far better than this life and this earth. But yet, you know what? God's got a purpose for us still. The reason God hasn't called us home yet is because it's needful. Not that God needs us in the sense of he can't do it without us, but God has chosen to use us in his kingdom. So it's something worth considering. Verse number nine, he says, wherefore we labor. In other words, hey, we're going we're gonna to serve God. Hey, this promise of heaven doesn't mean I just kick my feet up and do nothing. No, just the opposite. He says, we're going to labor. We have something yet to do for God. God has something yet for us to do. He says that whether we be present or absent, we may be accepted or well-pleasing to God. And that's his goal. He's like, whether on earth or in heaven, we, we should strive to, to serve God and be well-pleasing to our Savior. Why? He's saying this. Here's a sobering verse. That we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. He says, so we can receive the things done. Everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So now the, when it comes in, maybe you're not familiar with this term like the judgment seat. We talked about it a little bit in 1 Corinthians where Paul talks about, look, what looks in this life like success doesn't always register that that success it, that that's success with God, because he said, look, that, that, that one day, all of the things we do, um, it's the wood, the hay, the stubble, the things that we do with a bad motive or the things we do with a selfish motive, those things that we do that don't matter. He says, one day the fire's going to burn up those works, not the person, right? But those works, and it's going to be revealed. The fire's going to reveal whether what we did was a pure motive that we wanted to please Christ with. He says, those things are gold and silver and precious stones. So he's talking about consider how you're building. In other words, consider the motive for why you're doing what we're doing. Remember a time when um, the Pharisees in the gospels were, they were doing all of this, like these, these long prayers and they were bragging about how much money they gave. They were bragging about how they were fasting and praying. And Jesus said, you know what? They have their reward because they were doing it to be seen of men. But yet the reality is one day, all that we do is going to be revealed. Now, now don't think of this as like standing before God as a judge for your sin. That doesn't seem like that's the picture, right? For believers, we have the righteousness of Christ credited to our account through faith in Jesus. Amen. So it's not God is the angry judge condemning us. No, when, when Paul uses this phrase, the, the judgment seat, he's referring to what was called the Bema seat. Now, again, I totally get it. There's, time, there's times um, pastors and preachers can take a lot of um, liberty with things like this of trying to, you know, make this big scene play. And like, well, 
We don't know exactly, right, what that will look like, but it does seem this is not a time of punishment as far as a judgment. This is a time of, of reward or recognition for what we did or didn't do for God. Now, yes, there is a final judgment for unbelievers where they will be condemned for all those who don't trust Christ. But this setting and this scene is for believers. Paul says we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. That Bema seat was, was after like the Olympic type games where they would be this award type ceremony. Now again, nothing in heaven that we receive an award for, where we have to brag about. It's all because of the grace of God, right? We're not going to be in heaven bragging and look at all the trophies I have. No, they're the only one worthy of any of those is Christ. However, I think the point that's being made is this should be sobering that what we do for God in this life will have an impact and will matter for all of eternity. And we will stand before God as believers to give an account. God's gifted you in a unique way. God has given you unique opportunities. God's given me opportunities. And here's the thing. You're not going to answer for me. You're not, you're not going to answer for anyone else but you. And sometimes we see this and it's such a tragedy when people, uh, they, they stop following God or they, they, they quit following him and serving him because they a hypocrite or, or someone that's given them a bad taste towards Christianity. But here's the reality. Every one of us are going to stand before God and we're not going to give an account or an answer to any of those people or for any of those people. But we are going to give an account for our life. And this is something that motivated Paul. Yes, the hope of heaven, but it wasn't just now we kick our feet up because one day we're going to heaven. No, he says, we're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So let's serve God. Let's be busy with our life, knowing that our lives have meaning and purpose and can make an impact. Look, when God calls us home to heaven, that's the time, the rest, so to speak. But now let's be busy. Not, not in a, I don't mean busy in a way where you're just always drained and you try to take too much on yourself. But maybe we have an urgency for God's kingdom. Maybe we have an urgency to give the gospel to those around us. Why? Well, we're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And I think there'll be a lot of things we're thankful and glad that we did. I don't think we're going to regret the sacrifices we made on this, in, on this earth. I don't think we're going to regret what we did for God and to serve God. But I think we could have some other regrets. Again, I don't, I don't see this as like a, a shameful time in the sense of, of God like demanding you give an answer for every sin in your life. Like, no, we've been forgiven and the, the, the blood of Christ has cleansed us from those things. But I think we will be giving an account, it says, whether good or bad, with what did we do for God? Like, what did we do for his kingdom? These opportunities that God gave to us, the people God's placed in our life. Do we take those things seriously? And I hope and pray for each and every one of us that we, though we're not going to live a perfect life, there's going to be so much, obviously, that we could have done more in, in, in certain cases. But, but are you living in a way that's pleasing to Christ? Am I living in a way that's pleasing to Christ?
Are, are we doing the things that we're doing for an ulterior motive other than just to be pleasing to Christ? Because one day we'll stand before him. One day we'll give an account. He says, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. So now, again, this is one of those phrases, the terror of the Lord. Sometimes people think like, ooh, God is this angry judge coming down with this, this hammer fist on us. It seems like this phrase is like kind of like in, in places where the Bible talks about the fear of the Lord. Right? It's not necessarily like, oh, fear that God's going to hurt me and punish me. It's more of a reverence and a, a respect for God that we want to serve him because of who he is. It could also indicate, though, God's justice and judgment upon unbelievers. And so Paul was motivated knowing that we're going to persuade people. In other words, we're going to preach and speak with urgency. But Paul was motivated by this. He says, for we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf that ye may have somewhat to answer them, which, which glory in appearance and not of heart. So again, keep in mind, Paul is still kind of defending his ministry and his credentials with some there in, in Corinth that were trying to claim that, that Paul had an ulterior motive. And we talked about that last week where Paul's saying, no, my motive is not that I'm trying to get something out of this for me. I wouldn't go through all of these things if, if my motive was just selfish. No, it's to please Christ. And it seems like he's saying, man, I wish, I wish you to recognize this. Right? I wish, you would, I wish you would see this. That instead of just judging by, you know, the appearance instead of my true heart. He says, for whether we beside ourselves, it is to God. Or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. We're beside ourselves. It's almost like there were some accusing Paul of, of, man, this guy's crazy. His behavior is irrational. He's crazy to be content with this life of pain and trials and discomfort. But Paul's saying it's for the glory of God. It's to God. It's for him. I'm going to continue this thought. We'll stop at this, this verse and pick up next week to look at Paul, another great motivation Paul had was to give the gospel to those around him. He viewed himself as God's ambassador. He was speaking on behalf of Christ with sharing the message in the glorious gospel. What we see today, this motivation for Paul was that he knew that this life wasn't it. This life was short. And that after this life, when this body dies, that we're in his presence. We're present with the Lord. And that caused him to be motivated of having this confidence and courage that uh, there's something more that's yet to come. So many times we live like this life is it. Like just enjoy life to its fullest because you only get one. Well, the reality is this, that what we do in this life matters a great deal because our soul will live forever. And these bodies will one day be resurrected. And what we do for Christ has meaning and value and importance. So maybe today you find yourself really struggling. You, you feel that, that groan. There's just so much pain and suffering. 
seems like, man, maybe one problem after another. Maybe it just feels like in life there's so many, so much hurt for you right now. So many broken relationships or, or, or maybe just so much pain. Or maybe you just think of all of the people that you know that are in heaven, that have already passed away. My wife and I ministered for nine years at a church in Geneseo. And at that church, it actually was quite a few elderly people within that church. Now, by the way, people die all the time, young and old. But when we drive through that town of Geneseo, it's like we drive by so many houses of people that they're with the Lord now. They're, they're in heaven now. And it's like when you really think about it, like, wow, like we know a lot of people who are with the Lord. And don't think for a second that they're missing out on something here. No, they are doing way better than any of us. They're in the presence of the Lord. And may that encourage us and may that motivate us knowing, you know what? This life is short, but after this life, we know that to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. And may that motivate us, knowing we're going to stand before our creator and knowing that if, if we know the Lord and trust him as our savior, we're going to be in his presence for all of eternity. And we're not going to regret any sacrifice that we make. We're not going to regret living for God and for his kingdom. Now, maybe God's blessed you in a material way. Maybe God's blessed you with, with, with a lot of what the world standard would say, wealth or a lot of great opportunities. Maybe you have a lot of gifts and abilities and talents that God's given you. Well, don't think that that doesn't mean anything. Don't think that, well, this life is short, so none of that matters. No, actually, it matters a great deal. God's given you those things. If God has given you wealth, use it for his kingdom. If God has given you a lot of talents or abilities, use it for God's kingdom. If God's given you just certain maybe opportunities with people that seem like, wow, these are great opportunities, use it for God's kingdom. Give the gospel. Speak for Christ. Why? Because we're not going to regret the times that we live for God. We're not going to regret any sacrifices we made here on this earth. We're going to stand before him one day. And may that motivate us like it did Paul, knowing that heaven awaits and knowing that what we do in this life matters a great deal. Let's pray. God.